Tonight's reading from the New Testament is from Luke 10, verses 21 to 37. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a difference a week makes, huh? Yes. Prelude to spring already. I might be talking too soon, but... Hopefully winter is over. (laughs) This past weekend, I understood firsthand the power of cabin fever. Uh, I overheard my two boys playing a new game called diabetes. (laughs) Don't ask, but apparently nobody wins in this game. And immediately, in my mind, I just imagined my children sitting on the couch, consuming all the candy uh, that, uh, that are still left over from Halloween. And I thought, this is not a good game. We got to do something. So we actually went out and uh, did some family stuff out there and enjoyed uh, snow. So we had a great weekend, but I hope uh, winter has come and gone, and uh, we could greet spring and hope for summer to come. Now, in case uh, you are 
getting over a bad case of cabin fever, let me uh, begin tonight with a quick refresher. We are taking a look at the parables of Jesus and allowing them to shape not only our mind and heart, but even our commitments as we look ahead to what is now not-so-new year. You see, spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. It takes hard work. That's why it's called spiritual disciplines. The Apostle Paul encouraged young Timothy once with these words. He said, train yourself to be godly. And if you've ever trained yourself for a marathon or any sort of competition, you know the kind of work it takes to be prepared for something such as a marathon or whatever. And in that same sense, Paul encourages us to exercise these disciplines and to train ourselves to be godly. So with that in mind, we now turn to the word. But before we do, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Thanks that you are a merciful God who delights in giving yourself to your people. And we know that even today, you are here and you have spoken of your mercy to us through the song, through the baptism, through the prayers. But we want more. We pray, God, that you would open up our hearts and give us spiritual hunger for more of Jesus as we turn our hearts to your word and even to the table afterwards. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor Jong Lee started the Dropbox in Seoul, South Korea, where mothers of unwanted babies could drop off their child in a safe and a welcoming place. In a shame-based culture like South Korea, where physical deformity and single parenting uh, comes with a very high social price tag, infant abandonment has increased significantly in recent years. Pastor Lee, his wife, and a team of volunteers from local churches have rescued hundreds of children, many of whom have severe disabilities. And as you can imagine, it's no small task to care for so many children around the clock. And when asked why he does this, Pastor Lee replied simply, I do this because Jesus has done so much for me. I do this because Jesus has done so much for me. This really is the essence of the Christian gospel. If you're on the outside looking in to learn more about Christian faith and what we believe, this is what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God so loved the world, he gave his best. He gave himself, his son, so that by believing in him that we may have eternal life. And in the process, he paid the ultimate price, the price of giving himself, so that as we look back, even today, to the cross and to the empty tomb, that we begin to understand the rich depth of his love for us. And if we understand this gospel and allow it to trickle into our hearts, then the hard and patient work of loving even those on the margins of our society become our privilege. You heard it 
earlier. But the opposite is also true. If you lose sight of the gospel, then Christianity becomes just a dead religion, something you need to check off, something you got to endure for a season and hope for something better. Let me just say a few words about burnout. I'm all for embracing our limits and building Sabbath into our weekly and regular rhythms. I think it's wise and biblical, but I wonder how many times our burnout is the direct result of losing sight of the gospel and that something else other than Christ has taken hold of our heart and our imagination. And as we look at this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, my prayer is that we would experience God's love in a fresh way where it would move us to engaging this city, but also one another here in this very congregation as we learn to love one another well. So listen, listen in in this conversation. For those of you taking notes, there's only one point tonight. We're just going to go through this story, okay? So don't, if I look, if I, you know who you are. So I'm just letting you know, because you always sort of give me this like, hey, where are you going, pastor? So there. The lawyer mentioned in this text is more like a seminary professor, a professor, uh, an expert in the Old Testament law than a typical lawyer here in D.C. And the text says he stood up to test Jesus, to trap him with this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. This is one of the most important questions, if not the most important question you could ask. In fact, this question is the philosophical foundation to all the world religions today. And if you boil down their answer, it comes down to basically salvation by works. You have to be good enough. You have to be religious enough. And you got to jump through all these hoops and maybe at the end of the day, if you make the mark, you will be saved. Christianity, on the other hand, says, no, salvation is not by works, but it is by grace. We cannot ever meet God's standard of perfect obedience. But the one who has, has done it for us. And if we place our faith in him, his righteousness becomes ours. This is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? That God came into this world, taking on human flesh, and took a permanent residence among us so that we may know him and his grace for us. Interestingly, the lawyer's question really comes on the heels of what Jesus said in the previous verse, back in verse 21. And I wonder if Luke is not intentional here. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. The professor. And reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And Jesus plays along. And answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Basically, a summary of the Ten Commandments. Love God and love others. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly, but he doesn't end there. Rather, he goes on to say, now do this and you will live. You see, this is the impossible demand of the law, perfect obedience. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And James in chapter 2, verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And we are not graded on a curve. See, when you take the law seriously and actually try to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you begin to realize that you really don't measure up, that you are far worse than you thought. Several weeks ago, I uh, played basketball for the first time in years. Now, back in college and after college, I was somewhat good at basketball. Doesn't look it, I know, but I was somewhat good at basketball. And I thought, you know, it's probably like riding a bike. How hard could it be, right? So I step on the court, and because I was the 10th guy on the court, they didn't give me any time to warm up. Now, if you are in your 40s, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Because it takes us about 30 minutes to warm up and two minutes to tire out, okay? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I take the court, and we're playing. My shots are short. My dribbles are messy. I am having a hard time just running and breathing at the same time. But somehow, we win, and I look over at the next team that's coming on the court, and it's five college students. They were, I mean, they were shaming us. We were just trying to stay with them as they were sprinting back and forth after two, three minutes. Three of the guys on my team, we all gave up. I didn't feel so bad. But it was that, at that point, I realized, man, I am really out of shape. I am worse than what I thought. I thought I could just go in, pick up the ball, play a game, have fun, but I realized that's not the case anymore. And the same it is with God's word. When we take God's law seriously and we actually try to live it out in our life, especially in a city that divides us over all sorts of things where we are tempted to call the other the enemy. It's hard. It's really hard to love. And we realize we are worse than we thought. Why does Jesus do this? To prove a point? Maybe. To humiliate? I don't think so, then why does he do this? I think he does this to prepare the lawyer's heart to receive his mercy. Often, before Jesus offers mercy, he exposes our misplaced hope, the idols that we bow to in our hearts, to the Samaritan woman at the well who had five failed marriages and was living with a boyfriend. Jesus said, go, call your husband. Jesus exposed the idolatry of love to show her that God is the only one who could love us unconditionally. And to the rich young ruler who loved his wealth, Jesus said, go, sell everything you have 
and follow me. Again, Jesus exposes the heart, the idolatry of wealth in order to show him treasure, the true treasure beyond understanding who is Christ himself. And when Jesus brings to light the ugly truth about the sin in us, it prepares us to receive his mercy. But that's not how the story goes. Instead of humbling himself and acknowledging his need for a savior, this lawyer tried to justify himself. What does that mean? Basically, he tried to offer God his righteousness to prove that he was truly good, that somehow he merits, that he could merit God's salvation. This, again, sets Christianity apart from all other religions. You see, other religions are systems of self-justification, different ways to offer righteousness to God, to somehow merit salvation. Christianity believes that justification has to come from the outside, that we are not good enough, and that Christ who is offers it to us. The lawyer asked, Jesus, could you be more specific? Who exactly is my neighbor? You see, at this point, if Jesus said, the fellow Jews, then the lawyer could really justify himself by saying, I do love my people. I love them, in fact, as I love myself. And Jesus begins to tell a story, a parable. Now, a parable, for those of you who are new to it, is an allegory where Jesus uses the common things from everyday life to explain the kingdom of God. And here, Jesus begins this parable by saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles long. It is a valley filled with cliffs on both sides, making it an ideal place for robbery. In fact, it used to be called the path of blood for that very reason. Just think of the scariest part of D.C., okay? That's what it was. This man, the text says, was stripped of his clothes, which meant it was impossible to identify his ethnicity because back then it was your clothes or your accent that gave it away. But this man had none. There he is, half dead, stripped naked. A priest stumbles onto this man and for various not-so-good reasons decides to pass him by. Then a Levite comes along, and like the priest, he too passed him by. At this point, the lawyer figured out the hero of the story. He knew it was him. So he was anticipating Jesus to say, and then a lawyer came by and rescued this man. Now talk about a twist, right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And he goes on to explain the mercy the Samaritan showed this man. You see, the Samaritan risked his life. He stopped in a place where no one else would have to show this man mercy. He cleared out his schedule for the day. Talk about inconvenience. 
He got messy. He actually got down into the mess to care for this man. And he covered basically all the initial expenses with a promise to follow up. And when Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man, the lawyer couldn't answer the Samaritan because of his hatred toward him. Now, some of you know the cultural background at the time. Jews considered Samaritans worse than the Gentiles. A faithful Jew wouldn't even set his foot in Samaria. Rather, he would walk all the way around to keep himself clean. So instead, he says, the one who had mercy on him. You see what Jesus did? When the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus, instead of saying, look, that guy you don't like so much, he told this story in order to expose the lawyer's hatred, his anger, his prejudice that he was blind to. And by doing this, Jesus showed the lawyer that he cannot meet the demands of the law, that he needs a savior. But there's another reason why Jesus told this parable. The point of this parable is not necessarily to identify our neighbors so that somehow, by loving them, we could merit salvation. Rather, this parable shows the extent of Jesus' mercy and love toward us. You see, the conversation really goes like this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does the law say? Love God and love others. Great. Do this and you will live. Who is my neighbor? Jesus comes back and says, I am your neighbor and I have loved you well. And he proves it with the cross. You see, Jesus, he stopped and entered into our mess called sin when no one else would. He cleared out the schedule and he cared for us, pouring out himself, paying the ultimate price, his life, to neighbor us well. So how do we love others well? I would say is to sit under this gospel. Is to sit under this gospel and to hear it in a fresh way daily. And we got to pray this gospel into our hearts because it's one thing to know this story but another to believe it. We got to pour over the gospel, to pray, to fight against our unbelieving heart, asking that God would somehow make it real and allow the gospel to shape us. Why? Because the goal is not simply to do loving things and check them off the box. The goal is to become loving people. And the only way we can experience deep heart transformation is by allowing this story to shape us. But all too often, I think this is where we drop the ball. We come and we sit under the gospel weekly. And we may actually even turn to the word 
and in prayer throughout the week, but we don't do the hard work of wrestling with our hearts. Because if you're anything like me, I could easily read these words and dismiss them and go about my life as if this story is not true. But it takes hard work to look deep into my own heart, to see my own brokenness, and to feel the keen need for a Savior that day. And to say, Jesus, I need you. Not in this generic sense, but I need you because I see me, myself, and I, I need someone to save me from myself. I believe as we wrestle through the text and do the hard work of preaching the gospel to ourselves until we come to believe it, is how we're going to be transformed to become loving people. And at that point, it's through our life, through our radical generosity and sacrificial love, that this world would see glimpses of the cross in us. And so as we think about this new year, 2016, and as we're coming up with all kinds of commitments and to-do lists, and the ways that we're going to improve ourselves, and the ways we want to do this and that better, I pray that as people who have been called into faith, to believing this gospel, would do the hard work of wrestling with it so that we are transformed by it and become agents of change in this city. I love how Isaac Watts put it in his hymn. He said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I pray that this would be our testimony, that as we survey the cross daily, that our response would be, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me for your glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, that you didn't simply walk past us to other better people, more qualified people, but, Lord, you saw us and you had mercy on us. And as recipients of this message, help us not only to know it, but to be shaped by it so that we would live out this story in ours. In Jesus' name, amen.